Hi, I'm Anna McEwen, and this is The Epic Narrative. And now, my dad, Bob Switzer. All right, all right, all right. Now, <laughs> I promise, today we will get into 2 Samuel chapter 6. I might even try and do the whole chapter today. No, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can. I think I should. I should be. We'll see where we end up. I never know. This is honestly the fun part of telling the story for me. I know I've said this before, but for me to tell a story without time constraints, just off the charts fun. It's just fun. I've told stories, you know, with all kinds of time constraints. I've told them in. You know, in in 15 minutes, I've told them in 20 minutes, 45 minutes, I I can do it. It's just nice not to have to. And I've done it for all ages. And so, you know, mostly I think I deliver pretty well. I think I I read an audience well. I interact with the audience well. Uh, At least that's what I've been told. Well, sometimes I miss it. Sometimes I try and do too much. Like I I can think of a couple uh, youth retreats I've been on. And I think of two, one where I just I just missed it, uh, and some of that was because I was asked to do a specific thing, and I tried to accomplish that, and I overthink it sometimes. Probably shouldn't have. I tried to, yeah, I just tried to do too much. And then there was another one where I was I just didn't. I just I probably needed the first one to kind of get back in the groove. But anyways. I love I love telling stories and and without the time constraints it's just fun to see where I end up going because uh, I've never told an epic narrative uh, with the ability to just travel where my mind wants to roll and uh, not cut myself off and get back to the point. So I appreciate those of you that are traveling with me. On this, you guys are awesome. I appreciate, uh, again, my producer for putting all of this together so that we could listen to it. And uh, whether or not we have a big audience or a small audience is really uh, irrelevant to me because it's just really fun for for me to do it. It's so life-giving. Uh, and, and everyone should have that opportunity. Everyone should have that opportunity. I, I don't know. You know, sometimes I think uh, about this. Um, because I plan on continuing to tell epic narratives uh, for a while just because of how much fun it is for me. But I wonder if I had been um, a real <laughs> a real pastor, if I had been uh, able to preach weekly. Uh, I, I don't, which is fine. It's not what I was you know, brought on staff to do. But if I was, I kind of wonder whether or not I would actually be doing a podcast because I think... I'd be preaching every week, so I'd kind of get it out of me. I don't know if it would have, you know, would have been such a driving need for me to do. I probably would have just said, "Hey, I've recorded all these messages. <laughs> listen, listen to those." But anyways, enough about me. On with the story. Here we go. Chapter six, verse one. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, thirty thousand. He and all his men went to Baal, Baal, which again, remember Baal means God. So this is about 
this you know was an area of the land that was named after named for God in Judah to bring the from there the ark of God which is is called by the name the name of the Lord Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim of the ark they set the ark of God on a new cart brought it down from the house of Abinadab which was on the hill Uzziah and Aho and his sons of, of the sons of Abinadab were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it Aho was walking in front of it David and all of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with with just all kinds of instruments and percussions and all of that so here we go uh this is this is this is um this is a huge this is huge okay let's 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 put that together david put together a huge parade remember now this this desire of david to bring the ark back was birthed in him while he was a shepherd boy back in the day of his times of worship with the lord is his interactions with heaven he knew where the ark was he had he knew that it was just sitting in the woods hanging out he knew that saul had not gone to get it he knew that samuel had not gone to get it he had heard the legends of its of its power the the symbols the symbolic meaning of of God's throne amongst the people enthroned amongst people not a god who was out in the sky somewhere not a not a god who looked like the sun or the moon or or lightning or rain he it was a god who enthroned himself with the people who interacted with people this was a personal God, a relational God, a different God than any other God that had ever been known on the face of the earth. And that was a God that David got to know. This is why I believe David, David, you know, is such a example for us. Now, some people say he reached into the New Testament and drew out of the New Testament something that hadn't been created yet, right? This interaction with heaven, this closest that jesus jesus showed us the way he set up the new covenant but david borrowed from it he he was able to he was able to reach into the new testament and draw back uh from the new from what would be a new covenant things that didn't exist i don't think that's true dun 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 bob disagrees with hundreds of years of theology it's true i do i i do because i believe that that david reached into heaven and said this is who God is God is a God is a God who loves people and because David had been fatherless and rejected by his brothers and really rejected by his mom even though she taught him what she could but she chose to remain with the father of the, of her other children which I mean, I'm not faulting her. I'm just saying from David's perspective, he had been rejected by everyone. And in that rejection, he interacted with a God who loved everyone, and he's like, I'm all in. And I think he just moved logically toward a God who was who was a relational God. And in his interactions with that God, although they weren't, 
100% accurate. Like, I know he thought God was was wrath-filled. I know that he he gives God credit, you know, for killing people. I don't think God did that, but I think David understood God was a God of love. David was a, uh, David understood God was a God who wanted to be in re, in relationship with him. And David had a relationship with him. And I believe that's why God said, this is this is David. This is a man who's after my heart. He chases me. He wants to be like me. He's he wants to represent me, represent me on earth. This is a this is a man who I can trust to lead my people in such a way that the people of the of the world will be drawn to me because of the way David behaves. This is this is all layered into David's desire to bring the ark to the to the to Jerusalem. This is this is not a flippant decision. This is passion. This is life. This is a life-giving deal. David wanted nothing but celebration. He put together 30,000 young men. That means troops. He put together a parade. I don't know if you've ever seen 30,000 troops parading around, but I would imagine in my head, like I see, I remember like a military parade, right? I, I know the United States usually doesn't do huge military parades, but Soviet bloc countries, when I was growing up, would do them. Uh, China would do them. Maybe they still do. But you would just see, you know, at that point, hundreds of thousands of men just all marching in unison. So I don't, I don't think that, I don't know if David had them all marching in unison because of, of the, the geographical location of where they're going. This is incredibly steep mountains. The town that they're going, the town that they're going to is is on a on a plateau basically. It's on the top of a very steep ridge, and it's huge. It's not like a little little ridge. Like it's a big plateau, and the and the the path up and down uh, is steep, and uh, you got to take your time. So I don't think that the you know they were they were marching fifty men across, and you know. Uh, 30, 30 lines deep. I have a feeling that was just a long line. And he puts together this parade. If, if you remember, David and all of Israel was celebrating with all their might before the Lord with all these instruments and, and, and percussions, which I think is awesome. So not only did he have 30,000 troops, it says all of Israel showed up. So that would mean all the representatives from all the different families. This was a big deal. This was on the heart of David. David David didn't wake up one morning and be like, hey, guys, we're going to go get the ark. He put this together. You don't put this together in a day. This was discussed. The programming of it probably went on for months. I'm guessing probably two months of dialogue, two months of messengers running around the country, too much of excitement being built up. People hadn't seen the ark uh, exalt, you know, uh, not exalted. Uh, hadn't seen the ark honored. Hadn't seen the ark honored in years, seventy years. It's been wandering around in the woods. Honestly, this is this is crazy. It's crazy, and and and. And so there were people who knew the stories and the legends. People who had told the stories and legends. People who who remembered stories of their fathers and their grandfathers about the time that the that the ark went before them. 
I mean, honestly, this is this is a huge deal, and the nation was excited. And a lot of them were like, hey, let's go down for the parade. Let's go down. Let's go down. And they brought their instruments, and they celebrated, and they danced. This was like the 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 just don't miss out on what these verses are about. This is this is such a big deal. And if we just read these verses quickly, we miss it. This was a time of celebration. This was a time of of uh, victory. This was a time of peace. And yes, I have no doubt that there were people from the, you know, from the tribe of Benjamin that were not happy because they didn't like David. They still believed David was a usurper, that David had stole the throne from, from their family line, that David, David was a rebel. I get that. Nobody, nobody is 100% unanimously loved by everyone when they're in charge, even if it looks like it. That's fine. But the nation genuinely, even even the house of, of Saul, genuinely appreciated what David was doing. He was bringing the ark back. He was placing it in a in a in a city that was, you know, uh, captured and now belonged to them. It was a new capital city. It was a it was a city that was easily defendable and would not be, you know, attacked or taken. It was, it, I mean, oh, it's big. This is big. This is big. And David had a plan. This big parade of 30,000 troops, this, this, uh, this, this, this lining of the streets of the citizens. Now, this is what would happen, uh, they would uh, citizens would basically be like conveyor belts. Okay, they would they would dance and sing and play their instruments, and then as as David and the troops would leave, they would work their way back around to the front and wait for David to show up again. They would you know cut corners and run over the ridge and catch the parade on the other side. This was this was an all day affair. This took a lot of effort. Now there were there was uh, David. David had a plan, right? David had a, had a new cart built, not the old one that's been sitting around, probably falling apart. He had a new cart built, which is, you know, and 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 uh, what should I say? David had a great motive for this whole thing. He just had a bad plan. All right, he had a great motive, bad plan. Now the leaders. On this of this hilltop, uh, this hilltop village, were were Abinadab, sons of Abinadab, uh, and Uzziah and and uh, Aho, Ahio, Ahio, Ahio. I don't know how to say it. They were they were all there. They were there. Uh, they were kind of helping. They were kind of in charge of the, you know, they were the elders of the village. They were they were just a part of this whole show. They welcomed David, I'm sure, to the village. There was a, a little thing where they were, you know, this is their moment in the sun. This is this is like a big deal. This has been building for months. 
They knew David was coming. They knew David was bringing a party. They knew it was going to happen. They they probably put together a little a little gateway uh, at the city gate for him to walk under. They probably had flowers. Uh, they had palm leaves. They had uh, they had their the whole their whole little village showed up. This was a this was a big deal for them. So David David like I said he had a great motive. He had a bad plan. He went with what he knew. Seventy years ago. The Philistines got rid of the ark by putting it on a new cart and sending it into the wilderness. So because David really didn't do any research, I'm not saying it was it was hidden information, but he didn't he didn't seem to have done any research. I, I don't know, I don't know if the elders and his council uh, didn't understand, didn't know, didn't didn't think. I don't know if it was one of those things where uh, uh, Ahithophel, if you remember him, he's ultimately the grandfather of Bathsheba, who probably is a young lady at this point uh, in all of this. Like she's a part of all of this, at least as a child. Her father is one of the 30 mighty men of David. He would have been in this parade. Her future husband, Uzziah, Uzziah the Hittite is probably um, a part of the parade. He's a younger man, but he's he's a warrior, a mighty warrior. He ultimately becomes one of the 30 mighty men of David. But so he's there. Uh, Ahithophel, like I said, David describes his wisdom as, as the voice of God. Like it is so true and so good and so uh, timely. I don't know why somebody didn't say, hey, David, we probably need to carry it the way that Moses carried it. We probably need to surround the the ark with Levites because those are the ones that God had instructed. It's not that like holy things couldn't be touched. It's that God had given instructions for the holy things to be touched by certain certain people. It what what happens to Uzziah is not is not an you know, an evil thing. It's just his, his, re, remember I covered the, I think I covered this, I don't know when I covered this, but the, remember the enemy, the devil, he's unspeakably wicked. He's unspeakable. That was my, sorry, my, <laughs> I don't know why, but my furnace just kicked on. It's, it's plenty warm enough out here. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Anyway, sorry. Sorry about that hum you're probably hearing in the background. That's what I get for, doing this stuff in my basement. Generally, it's pretty quiet down here. All right, so the enemy is unspeakably wicked. He takes advantage of any opportunity. You don't think he's looking at what David's doing as a huge threat to his influence on the people? Remember, the enemy's main goal is death. Yeah, His ultimate goal is death, and one of the main things he uses to get people there is fear. Through fear, he brings death to relationship. Through fear, he brings death to uh, to community. Through fear, he brings death to individuals because you become so isolated, so alone, so engrossed in negative thought that ultimately you become a victim, and then you become a victim of, of your own negativity, and, and ultimately you die. And trust me, he he doesn't excuse me he doesn't stop until you're dead. That's what he does. 
So he's he's hovering around this huge celebration, and he knew it was coming. He observed what was going on. He knew what was going. He's looking for any opportunity to shut this down, to destroy the momentum of David, to destroy the fact that he is that he is leading so well, that he is picturing a nation and drawing this nation into a into a culture that looks like heaven. This is. He cannot, he cannot have the ark show up at Jerusalem. He is as passionate as David is to get it there. The enemy is doubly passionate to stop it. So so David has a good plan, a good motive, but he has a bad plan. Trust me, the enemy knows this. And I don't know if he frustrated wisdom. I don't know if he frustrated history. I don't know how, but somehow nobody thought that maybe we should move this the way God told us we should. And the and the enemy knew I have a I if I can just get somebody to break the rules, I'll have access. I'm coming with all my might. I'm coming, I'm coming fast, and I'm gonna come hard. <sighs> so here you go. Uzziah is on once you know is hanging out by the by the thing he's helping he's helping like it's on a cart it's being pulled by 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 an ox they're just kind of walking around the side of it there's a it's a huge parade it's a narrow road it's a steep road it's they are on their way to Jerusalem people are excited they're blowing trumpets they're banging drums the troops are lined up behind them and probably in front of them this is this is a big deal. Everyone's smiling. Everyone's dancing. Dust is everywhere. And the and the and the ox moves, right? When they sorry, verse 6. When they come to the threshing floor, Uzziah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because an, the ox had stumbled. Now this is where again, I think this is up for interpretation because I don't think God kills people. It says the Lord, Lord's anger burned against Uzziah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Whoa. Uzziah broke the rule. He broke the rule. And the enemy came in with the ultimate attack. He didn't try to cause you know, uh, disease. He didn't try to steal the joy. He, you know, kill, steal, and destroy. He didn't try to destroy. He killed. He killed knowing what that would do to this whole procession. Uzziah behaves or reacts, but the enemy kills him. He kills him because he knows it will bring an end. It'll bring an end to the plans of David. And he's hoping that it will bring an end to the plans of, of honoring the ark and all that it symbolizes, of exalting the name of the Lord, of bringing worship and praise into the city, the capital city that represents the nation. He did not want the ark to go forward. So if you can imagine, 
You've got the bands, uh, well, whatever. You got people playing, which probably sounds kind of random, right? Kind of like a drum circle with tambourines and guitars and and people running around and kids running around and troops marching and dust everywhere and and the ark is is plodding along and and you got you know somebody out in front of the ox kind of making sure the ox pays attention to him and and is heading down the road and and they're getting close to uh to the threshing floor which probably was a relatively level spot off to the side and the ox stumbles and when he stumbles the the harness that's on him gets uh gets yanked and because of course we don't have shock absorbers or bungee cords right it it jerks the cart and the arc begins to shift and Uzziah reaches out and he touches it he pushes it back where it needs to go he he has a good reaction but he's not he's broken the law and the enemy comes in and kills him can you imagine what happened to the to the atmosphere from celebration to fear this is exactly what the enemy wants to do this is exactly i mean you can't you can't get a more clear picture of how the enemy works he takes what should be good and he turns it bad he takes what should be celebration and turns it into fear he doesn't want you to find the good. He always wants you to look at the bad. And this is the way that he did it. He brings death. And if he doesn't bring death, then he brings he steals the the opportunity. And if he can't if he doesn't bring death and he doesn't steal something, then he destroys stuff. He brings destruction. And in this case, he brought all of it. He brought all of it. He is so passionately against what David is about to do. He destroys, kills, and steals. It says David was angry. Yeah. David was freaking out. The next verse, verse 9. David was afraid. David, I, I cannot imagine. I can't, honestly. It's, I guess in my own head, I can imagine it. But to actually experience what that's had to be like. In front of probably close to 50 or 60,000 people. Everything comes to a screeching halt. People, trust me, there were people that were playing music that had no clue what was going on for 10 minutes. The word had to spread. Somebody died, somebody died, somebody died, somebody died. What? Yes, he dropped dead right there. Of course, he touched the ark. Guess who's getting credit for this? God. They think God. God's out killing people. Uzziah is dead on the ground. His son was right there to see it. We turn from celebration to wailing. David, David, who has such a passion for this, he's angry. Angry at what? Well, I'm sure he's angry at himself. He's angry at himself because he has no idea what, what he did wrong. When stuff like this happens, and the enemy is so good at deceiving us, when stuff like this happens, we immediately start to think we did something wrong and God is angry with us. 
David has no idea what happened. He's probably on his knees next to Uzziah, confused, which is another uh, tool of the enemy. He's embarrassed, humiliated. Two more amazing tools of the enemy. And when the enemy strikes like this, when the enemy comes in so hard and so fast, it is, it is, it muddles or just or or steals our opportunity that we always have to connect to God's perspective and God's goodness. That opportunity is always there, but man, the enemy is so good at, at doing this. And and he saw he saw the opportunity, and man, he took event, full advantage. And he did. He wiped out David's ability to see God's goodness in this moment. And David was afraid. He was afraid that God was killing people. He, had, he was afraid that this was his responsibility, that Uzziah was dead because he had done something wrong. He thought for sure he was doing the right thing. He thought for sure this is what God wanted. This was something God had spoken to him years earlier, 40 years ago. Or more, or less, ish, more or less, 40 years ago. He knew that, that the ark was supposed to come to the city that God had chosen. And he knew he had the right city. He was going to finish the call. He was going to finish his purpose, one of his destinies, one of the things he knows God called him to do. And now he's afraid he did it wrong. He's afraid that that he won't be able to fulfill it. He's embarrassed in front of 60,000 people that he had put and designed this huge programming deal and now it's now it's over you can't go forward at this point you can't just pretend that this didn't happen and keep celebrating what if god kills more people that's what he's you know that's logically what he's afraid of and that's exactly what the enemy knew he'd be afraid of the enemy knew he'd be fearful because he's so good at bringing fear and david david just stops everything and I'm sure that there's people around David that after after you know David's on the ground and it's clear that Uzziah died and people are like what did he do? Well, the ark shifted. He pushed the ark back on the cart and and he you know God killed him. And David's like, what do you mean God killed him? And David's calling out to God like I have no doubt David's crying out to God. What did I do? What did I do? What did I do? <clears throat> He says, how can the ark of the of the Lord ever come to me? In other words, how in the world can I ever get this thing home? I'm not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David instead. He goes, I, I can't, I can't go on. That's that's what all that verse means. I can't go on. I, I can't, I can't. I have to know what happened. I have to know maybe, maybe I missed it. Maybe I'm not supposed to bring the ark of the Lord to the city of God. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm not taking another step toward the city. And instead, he took it to Obed-Edom, who was, you know, I mean, bless his heart. What is he doing out there? Well, he's he's not a Levite. He's just hanging out. He's just watching a parade. He's like he's, his house is on the parade route. He's he's probably within visual sight of what just occurred. He's he's watching the parade. He's got his great vantage point. It's going right past his house. He's hanging out with his kids. He's watching everything go on. Every there's a big party, and then he sees Uzziah die. How crazy is that? 
He sees Uzziah die for touching the, the ark. And and all of all of the party stops. I don't know if it stopped suddenly, but it stopped pretty quickly. I'm sure it stopped suddenly all around the ark, but but by the time you get down the road and up the road from people, it probably took a little while, but eventually it all got quiet. And then I would imagine when David said, I'm we're not we're not going any further. We're stopping. I can't take it to the I can't. And the message got out. The party's over. Party's over. Parade is over. Parade is over. Everybody started going home. Now it says here, the ark of the Lord remained at the house of Obed-Edom for the next three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. So here's Obed. He watches Uzziah probably, I mean, he probably watches. My, my guess this is my imagination. I could be wrong. But my imagination says he was he was in a position close enough to the ark that he saw Uzziah die when he touched it. He saw the, and felt this huge shift of emotion in the, in the atmosphere of that day. David says, we're not going further. I'm not going another step closer to the, to the city until I figure this out. How in the world can I bring the ark of God to, to the city when, when someone's dead? This is not the way it happens. I, 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 I need to figure this out. And, <laughs> Obed's standing there watching this whole thing, you know, wide-eyed. And David's looking around, and, and his advisors, I'm sure, are talking to him. They're like, well, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And he's like, give me a minute. Just give me a minute. And he's looking around, and he sees Obed's house right there. And it has a barn and family, and he's like, we're going to put it in there. <laughs> Obed's like, I mean, you can't refuse. You can't refuse, but but he just saw someone die. Like, now what is he going to do? You, you can't say no. It's the king. It's the ark of God. Like, how do you not take it in? But remember, now this thing has been hanging out in his area. Like, this is not that far from the city and the village, the hilltop village where it was at. They were just working their way down the hill. So he knows it's been around. He knows that they've technically kind of been the caretakers of it for 70 years. So in it comes, and he puts it in the barn I, I or shed, whatever you want to lean to. I don't know what it looked like. But I do know what happened. I mean, it says, it just says, right, the Lord blessed him and his entire household. This is what happens. This is see now this is the goodness of God. The ark goes into his home. He gives it shelter. And the goodness of God is felt. The blessings of God fall out on this family. Because <laughs> because when you are in the presence of God, you get what God has to give. And the only thing God has to give is goodness and blessing. And that's what happened. You can picture, right? The uh, Maybe maybe you can't. So picture with me. <laughs> Obed parks this thing in his, in his barn. And, it, you know, it takes a while for 60,000 people to go home. And, 
and they're all walking by and they're talking like this is a huge deal. This is a disaster that happened in the middle of a party. You don't you don't walk away not talking about this. This is this would be like I I don't know what it would be like. Yeah, I guess let, I don't know if you watch NASCAR. Like let's say there was everybody's racing along having a good time and then then somebody crashes and dies. Well, everything everything's like it just everything stops. And there's always people who will hang out and keep an eye on things and wonder, you know, are we really is this really are we really done? Are we really not going to go any further? Are we really done? I don't know, are we? I mean, they they wonder. They wander. Some of them brought food, you know, they're like, well, we we could hang out. Let's have, you know, let's eat and then head home. Do we head home? Are we going to do this tomorrow? Like, where's David? Like, how long before we actually bring the ark? Because there's some who are thinking, listen, I know he died, but can we finish? Can we finish? Like, we traveled all this way. Can we finish? And they're not trying to be rude. They're just being practical. Like, I don't want to I don't want to head home for two days and then be told, oh, today, you know, we're going to bring the ark in now. And now I want to come back. Like, I want to see the ark go to the city of God. I've been wanting once again to worship God. I've been wanting to, you know, this is, this is, this, David's not the only one that had a passion to restore the ark to a, to a place of honor. So people want to know. People want answers. It's, it's, this is fascinating to me. The, the number of relational interactions that had to occur amongst all those people. Fascinating. And Obed, Obed's, you know, it's, it, he's like, uh, they're like, we're going to put the, uh, we're going to put the ark at your house. And he's like, oh, okay. Um, you can, you can put it in the shed. I imagine he didn't volunteer to bring it into the shed, just kind of pointed like, and you got a picture of the guys who are leading the ox at this point with the ark on the on the cart. They're they're like they they're not standing close enough to like to steady the ark if it shifts again. Nobody wants to touch this thing. <laughs> I don't blame them. So they get the ark into the barn and they shut the barn or walk out of the shed. They talk amongst each other. They start heading back to the city. David David probably gets on his donkey. He's surrounded by his guards. They're kind of protecting him. Some people might have even, you know, tried to be encouraging to him as he drove by. Some of them might have been rude. Some of them might have, you know, spoken under their breath, but loud enough for him to hear. He's a failure. He did it wrong. God's not with David anymore. Maybe we're all going to die. Maybe maybe David should have left well enough alone. He's he's trying too much. He thinks he is God. I, I'm telling you, there there had to be a dozen different reactions, and they were all intense because this was a huge, intense deal that just occurred. And David... David is is walking, riding, going off to the city. 
and he's just internalizing incredible things. Remember, he's he's a. Huh. It's not that he's a loner. I just don't think he had a lot of people to process with. Yes, he had multiple wives. They probably were all there. Several concubines. They probably were there. His children were there. Or maybe they were at home. They were waiting for him to come into the city. I don't know. They could have been either way. But he knew he was going to have to get home and they were going to be there. They were going to have questions for him. Abigail, the wise wife, would probably want to speak with him. Michelle, his firstborn, or firstborn, his first wife, who doesn't have any of his children, but you know, technically is is the matriarch of all the uh, of the concubines because she was the first wife. But there's other wives that that you know, but she was given a marriage to someone else. Like the the hierarchy of the of the harem wasn't was not always peaceable, peaceable, peaceable. And David's embarrassed, and he's fearful, and and he's afraid. He's angry at himself, humiliated. You know, sometimes when things are going so well, you don't check in with God, right? I mean, it's it's this is a normal thing. We get on a roll. Everything everything looks good, sounds good. Everybody's all for it. I'm sure most of David's counsel was like, yes, let's go get the ark. Yes, it's a good plan. Yes, how could God be against us? Look at all the things that are happening, all the positive stuff that's all around you, David. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And he's like, yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. This is awesome. Let's go get the ark. All those months of conversations, and he's thinking, what did I miss? What did I miss? What did I miss? I've I've been there. I've been there. I've thought everything's going good. I did not see you know the what 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 I missed until after I missed it and then you just sit back and go, "How did I miss that?" I've got to figure this out. I I have a feeling he got he by the time he got to Jerusalem, he was resolved to figure out what had gone wrong. I think by the time he got to Jerusalem, he was aware of his interaction with with heaven and and he was like I I I didn't talk to God I didn't consult God I just assumed he was for this that he was with me that this plan was going to be good I got to talk to God I got to figure out what in the world happened So there he goes Yep there he was Back at the back of the palace, waiting. He was not going to go get that ark until he knew the way to go get it. <laughs> he did not want to call another party. He didn't want to. He, I, you know, he had other things to do as well. It's not like he just sat alone in the palace, wandering about, muttering, second guessing his calling, second guessing his purpose. He went on with life. For the next three months. And he keeps hearing these words of, of God blessing Obed's house. What does that mean? I don't know. I'm guessing it means Obed's started making money. 
That's one of the ways God blesses, right? He brings he brings provision. Now, whether it was money, money, or you know, his land started growing more crops, uh, his his livestock started started breeding faster and and stronger and whatever. There was blessing on his household. And and it was so obvious to everyone that word got back to the palace. Like it's it this is this is why we have to remember, like we don't just read the verses and move on. Oh wow. Okay, I see that I've gone forty five minutes already. It's this is probably gonna be a long longer one because I do want to finish this up. Uh uh, I'll try and get done within an hour, just so you know. It, you know, if you're listening at home and, and you're thinking, well, you probably already know because you hit the podcast thing and it tells you how long it is. But anyways, uh, it's a long one, <laughs> I think. Who knows? Anyway, so he, <laughs> I just never know which way it's going to go. Okay, focus, Bob. I hear you. My engineer in my head. We, uh, uh, David, David, the blessings at Obed's house were so distinct and publicly obvious that word got back to David about it. Does that make sense? You don't it wasn't just a subtle thing like like he found a quarter in the in the couch. Not that he had couches or quarters, I know, but just like it wasn't little things. This was a big enough thing that that people in the village spoke, that merchants who were coming in and out of the village spoke about it. They they knew where the ark was. I'm guessing Obed probably had visitors on a regular basis because there would have been those who would have come to see the ark. They would have wanted to see it up close. Obed probably built uh, a pen or doors or whatever to, to protect the ark. Like he, he honored the ark. Obed's in a place where where he's experiencing what the presence of God does naturally. It naturally blesses those that are there. When you are aware of God's presence, you are blessed. It's just It just happens. Your perspective shifts. Your understanding of, of God's goodness becomes heightened. So you see his goodness around. In everything you do, you see his blessings. When you're aware of his presence... You can't avoid a change in perspective. It says, in his presence is fullness of joy. You can't, you can't help but be joyful. Not that uh, joy isn't always this, uh, this energetic celebration. Sometimes joy is the ability to just, just lie still. You just lie still and you're happy internally. You just ooze out this joy. You, you, it's, it's awesome. And that's what Obed is experiencing. And so not only is his life literally getting blessed, but the, whenever anybody talks to him, he's telling them how awesome it is to have the Ark of the Covenant there, how he can't get over there, the interaction that he has now, the way that his life has changed, the way that his life is better, the way that his family is blessed. So much so that David hears about it. And David goes, okay, I got to go get the Ark. We're going to do it. We're, we're going to get it. Now, this is three months later, and David puts together another party because he says, I'm going to bring the Ark of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. I'm not going to turn this into a, a, a solemn event. 
That's not the way the presence of God is. This is this is a huge deal. If you're wondering what worship is like, David understood. David understood that the presence of God is about joy. It's about rejoicing. So he got the right people. He got the Levites together. They got the the 12-foot poles or whatever they're supposed to be, and they carried the ark on their shoulders as it was supposed to be. He did the research. He had a, a great motive and a great plan. Now they go and pick up the ark. This is this is interesting. Uh, this is interesting when it comes to Obed and his and his family. Obed had a choice. Do I let it go and just say, man, I had a great experience in the presence of God? Or do I follow the presence? Do I follow the presence of God? Now there are there are there are <laughs> I I know there are there are people who follow the presence of God. They never they never put down roots. They're always looking for the next the next conference, the next spiritual high. This is not what Obed's looking at. Obed's life was so shifted by being in God's presence for three months that he never wanted to be out of God's presence. He never wanted to be unaware of God's presence. Obed decided at that point, when David, I'm sure he got word from messengers, hey, David's coming, hey, the party's coming, hey, this is going to be a big processional. This is about a 10-mile processional, just for what it's worth. I don't know if I mentioned that earlier, but it's about 10 miles away from Jerusalem. This is a 10-mile party. This is going to be awesome. And Obed had a choice. I'm sure he he sat there in his house going, what am I going to do? As the party was being planned, as the because uh, as you'll see, like this was a big deal. What what David was planning, the the new the new parade <laughs> wasn't just going to be people. This was going to be a place of rejoicing and honoring uh, of God the whole way of sacrifice and of you know of the pre- with the priest. So so David's putting this all, this whole thing together. It says that every six steps they sacrifice a cow. This is this is a. This is not logistically, this is not something you set up overnight. The cattle had to be brought in. They were lining the street for 10 miles. It wasn't like they kept bringing a cow up from the back. They had them, they had them you know, staked to the ground, so to speak. They lined them up for probably took days to do this. People that were walking the streets regularly were like, what, what, why, why, why are all the cows out here? <laughs> do you, do you, uh, I don't know if you remember, but Chicago was famous. Uh, one summer they did a, uh, they had cows, cow statues all over the city um, to, to, I think to celebrate. Uh, one, at one point, Chicago was known as the, like a livestock trading place where like millions of cattle were traded every day and put on uh, railroad cars or whatever. So they celebrated something about that and, they had hundreds of these cows all over the city, and they let artists paint them. All kind. It was awesome. It was awesome, and people took pictures of them, and then they sold them off, I think, for charity. And then other cities did it as well, and it, it was just really funny. It's it's fun to see. I don't know what it is about a cow. There's something fun about seeing a cow. 
I like seeing cows. <clears throat> it's the classic, right? You see a cow, everybody moves in the car. I, I, why, why do you move a cow when you're driving by? I don't know. It's just fun. They're just fun. Anyways, <clears throat> so the cows are lying in the streets, and the merchants are like, what's going on? Oh, David, we're bringing the ark to Jerusalem. The celebration is 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 back up. We're, we're going to party big time. These All these cows are going to be sacrificed. Now, it wasn't just the sacrifice. This also meant that there was going to be a huge party because they'd kill the cow and then they would they would cook the cow and then they would serve the cow. Like this is this is going to be a street fair out the wazoo for 10 miles. This is going to be crazy fun. So people are getting excited again. People are making travel plans. People are crashing in on the capital city. They're setting up tents all along the parade route. They're watching the cow. This is the cow I'm going to watch. That. Like this is, this is a big deal. And of course, you got some that are like falling in love with the cows and naming the cows because sometimes you just do that, and then you know you're going to be sorry to see it go. But all of this is preparing. And meanwhile, Obed's back at his house, thinking, "What am I going to do? They're coming for the ark. What am I going to do?" And in his, in his interactions with heaven in his time of connection to God, he decided to stick with it. He said, no, I'm going into, I'm going to go into ministry. I'm going with the ark. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. If God moves, I move. Now, again, I believe this is different than just chasing a spiritual high, which a lot of people get connected to and I mean it's it's called a high for a reason it's it's addicting but it's meant to invite us spiritual highs are meant to be an invitation an on-ramp to something that could be continual if we become fully aware of God's presence within us I think Obed was fully aware of God's presence and he he was so drawn into that love relationship he was like I can't I'm sticking with it. It's it's so much so that he and his family are noted, uh, just for what it's worth, in I think it's First Chronicles blah, 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 26. His he and his sons are noted as servants and worship leaders. They're they're listed. Obed, I think I don't know if he was a musician before the ark came. I kind of think he wasn't, but he took up the guitar, so to speak. He taught himself. He wanted to worship God so passionately that he took up an instrument. And after work, he would go out to the shed and he would sit by the ark and he would sing to the Lord. And he got really good at it. So much so that, like I said, he's listed as one of the worship leaders in First Chronicles uh, 26. So David has a new plan. He shows up. He's, he's sacrificing a bull, a fatted calf, every six steps, which is time-consuming. And I don't know if they waited, but you know, for the whole thing to be cut up appropriately. But the the you know people had prepared the way. They prepared the way. They prepared the altars. They prepared the cows. And they'd stop. The ark would 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 stop. 
and the music continued and the and the tambourines and the guitars and the percussions and and the trumpets and the the cow would be sliced and the you know the blood would spurt everywhere and and everybody would cheer yeah kind of like i know this is a horrible way to compare it bob but i'm just saying like like everybody would cheer regularly for six steps and then there would be like this burst of energy like someone hitting a a three-pointer like it was like whoa and then they'd go six more steps and then slice another cow i mean it just i i just think by the time david got to the city by the time he showed up and he walks in dancing he's wearing a, an ephod so he's wearing a he's wearing a, a part of the the uniform of a priest and as the ark is entering the city of david michael daughter of saul first wife of david remember she was in love with david remember she helped david escape she protected david And she saw the king leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. She was offended. She was offended at what David was doing. I think she probably, this probably started after, after she helped David escape, and David never sent for her. David never came back to rescue her. She was you know, officially divorced from David by her father and then given in marriage to somebody else who desperately loved her. There was no doubt about that. You remember he followed her and cried when she was taken, being taken back to David by Abner as, as part of the, uh, the transfer of power. She felt used. She was a victim. She grew up in a, you know, in a culture of fear of victim mentality, of selfishness, and all of that just weighed her down. She, David was her lifeline. David was the love of her life, and David never came back for her. David didn't send for her. David didn't try to rescue her. I think this, this is a deep-seated offense that started years ago. And she sees David with multiple levels of success, multiple wives, multiple sons, favor from all the nations, He's having it easy. She saw her father struggle. She saw the, you know, the her father was always a victim of the stress and the issues of the nation. Her father tried to wear the crown with dignity. He wore it every day. He carried his spear and intimidated people because he was a powerful man. He 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 wore the bracelets of the king every day. She she was trained on how how weighted down Saul was and how he was a victim and she became a victim. And now David's dancing around. He's supposed to be the leader of the nation. He's supposed to feel the weight of his call. <clears throat> and David's dancing around as though he is light as a feather. And trust me, David's been dancing for 10 miles. When you're in the presence of God, there is something that happens. I, I can't explain it. And I know I just said when you're in the presence of God as though the presence of God isn't always with you. But when you are fully aware of his presence, you have strength that is literally supernatural. I've, I've, I, I can't go into the number of times that it's happened to me and to people I know where you're feeling sick, but you have to, 
you have to preach or you're 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 feeling tired and exhausted but but there's an opportunity to minister and you just become aware of God's presence and it, the power is there the 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 strength is there and David is dancing before the Lord in all the 10 miles he had to be Oh, I can't tell you how bloody he was. Oh, my word. The blood that flowed. You kill a cow every six feet, there is blood everywhere along the road. It spurted everywhere. It drained out of the cow. And then there's fires all along the road, back, you know, behind behind the processional as the, uh, as the bulls are being cooked and sacrificed to the Lord. They're just, they're, it's, he's a bloody, sweaty, dusty mess a mess and he he comes dancing into the city and as he enters the gates you can picture like the the whole crowd the whole crowd at the city they're waiting they're waiting they're waiting and david's like like he knows when he crosses that threshold it's going to be a a freaking riot and he's like dancing and he doesn't quite go to the over the edge he fakes to go over the edge and he fakes again and he dips his head over and he, and he pulls back and then ultimately he just leaps over the edge of the of the of the of the gate and he lands in the city like a superhero boom baby and the place erupts in a party and david takes off his royal robe and he just dances with the people the people the common people he's wearing the ephod remember david probably maybe he's got a little bit of a gut right now but generally speaking he's a handsome dude and he's dancing in the street with the women and the men and the children and he's picking them up and he sees his wives and his own kids and this is a huge party and the ark is being carried in and he's got a tent prepared for it and it goes to the tent and the and the and the ark is placed there and everybody's dancing up front and he gives out all this food he's giving out loaves of bread to people now he's not the only one giving it out trust me the loaves of bread are everywhere but he's handing it to people uh cakes of dates and cakes of raisins which were big celebratory things these were sweet treats that only happened occasionally you had to be incredibly wealthy to be just be having dessert every day like this and he's handing that stuff out this was all part of the plan remember this took probably another uh, a month i know it took three months to go get the ark he probably decided to go get it Two months ago, it took a month to put this all together. Weeks of cooking and baking and 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 preparing for all the loaves of bread and all the cakes of dates and the cakes of raisins. And then, of course, we have all this meat that's been cooked up and everybody's eating and everybody's celebrating and everybody's partying and David's dancing and laughing and and he's you know he took off his robe probably because it was sweaty and it was bloody and he's here with all the people and he probably looked kind of scary with it on. So he rips that off. Everything's going great. He comes He comes into his home. He comes into the palace, the city of David the, on the Mount of Zion. Oh, what a day. What a glorious, glorious day. And all the people went home. And he came home and he sees all his family. He says he blessed his household. Man, he just kissed all his kids that night. He gave them all hugs. He told them how, I mean, remember, this is the fulfillment of a purpose, of a destiny that he had years ago. He is feeling generous. He is speaking life over everyone. He's blessing them. He's giving them prophetic words about their future and their purpose and their identity. This is, this is one of his true father moments for, the, for his, his family. 
he's loving on his wives he's hugging them he's thanking them for their for their faithfulness and he gets to michael now remember michael took over the hierarchy of the harem is kind of weird because michael doesn't have any children yet she was technically the first wife of david so she re-entered the harem as the first wife of david but david had married several women who had been through the wilderness with him had bore him sons and now it's just a weird tense moment and he gets to michael and she's waiting like she is not giddy she is not blessed she is not happy to see him and everybody in the room knows it and once again what's the enemy trying to do the enemy's trying to destroy he's trying to steal what's happened he's trying to make uh make life difficult once again to take the moment away here's an offended woman an offended people exaggerate things so she lets it fly he goes up to her and he probably is going to give her a big hug and he wants to bless her and she goes well you certainly distinguished yourself as the king of Israel today, going around naked or half naked, depending on your translation, in full view of the slave girls and servants, as any vulgar, normal, vagrant would do. She basically was saying, my father would never have behaved in such a way. He carried the... the the crown with honor. He carried the crown with the weight of the authority and, and power that he was given. He was crushed by it. He was overwhelmed by it. But he would never have allowed himself to stoop so low that he would have looked like one of the one of the vagrants, one of the one of the normal tradesmen, merchants, street people. He wouldn't have danced with them and sweated with them and ate with them and, and handed them food. He would have been he would have been somebody who would have been looked up to, David. You you have destroyed the honor of the family. You've destroyed the honor of, of, the, of the office of king. My father would have never let this happen. You've offended me. You've offended you know, the nation. You're an offense. Oh, I mean, trust, trust me. This wasn't just a one-sentence thing. She let it fly. Offended people. Let it fly, and trust me, they believe they are right. They exaggerate their points, and they are hard to work with. And David let her finish. And I think David probably got really quiet. I, I know that you could you could read these verses and say that he let it fly back at her. I don't think he did. He goes, he reminded her of his calling. He's like, listen, it wasn't, I didn't choose this. I didn't choose to be king. God chose me to be king. He chose me over your father or anyone from your house. He chose me over Jonathan. And Jonathan was a great guy. You know that. I love Jonathan. I didn't I didn't put any of the household of Saul to death. I mourned their death. I buried them in royal in royal tombs because I wanted to honor them. This was not I, your offense is not appropriate. Lord appointed me ruler over his people. 
And I celebrate with God. I spend time. I like, this is the presence. This is what God does. This is why I want the ark here. So we can constantly be in his presence. He says, I'll become even more undignified than this. And I don't think it's because he ran around in his underwear or ran around naked. I don't think he did. I think when he says you, you ran around naked, she was saying you stripped yourself of your royal robes. You made yourself look like a commoner. Commoners weren't running around naked, but he looked like one of them. Whatever he was wearing underneath his robe, plus the ephod, is what he was dancing in. And if you didn't know about David's hair or you didn't know what he was wearing, you would have lost him in the crowd because you couldn't find the royal robe. It was probably, he probably handed it to a guard and said, hey, hang on to this for me. It's too sweaty and full of blood. I, I can't dance in it anymore. It's too wet. He says, I'm going to be a more undignified. I'm going to be just like the people. But I'm not going to be humiliated in their eyes. I'm going to be humiliated in my own. I, I, will, I will lay myself down to celebrate heaven. I'll lay myself down to be in the presence of God. And these slave girls you spoke of, they're, they're not going to demean me. They're going to hold me in honor because I honor the Lord. And then it says, and this is a strange verse, right? It says, and Michael's daughter of Saul had no children to the day of her death. A lot of people want to give God credit for that. They say, see, God judged her. She would not bring the household of Saul, you know, would have would have claimed her her children as the rightful heir and would have would have rose up against David. Trust me, David's got his own son that will do that. Don't worry about it. He didn't need a household of Saul to come after him. No, this is what happens when you're bitter and you're constantly offended. You give access to the enemy. And I'm not saying that if you're bitter and you're a victim and you're offended all the time that you can't have any children, but that's how the enemy manifested his legal right to impact her life. He stole from her the life-giving properties of a, of a wife and of a woman. And the bitterness, I, I, I know of a woman, literally, who was, I know her. She was constantly bitter, always held on to offense. Like, oh, I, I swear she had a list in her purse, but it was actually in her mind. But she kept lists of offend, offenses. And she would be nice to your face, and she, you, you, know, you could walk away, and she would say things about how that person was an offense to her. And I cannot tell you i can't tell you because i can't come up with the number but hundreds of of internal issues digestive issues stomach issues uh uh you know urinary issues i'm telling you her inner being was racked with pain racked with illness and i can't get away from the fact that it was bitterness it was just bitterness and I think Michael or Michelle, depending on how you want to say it, I think she carried that with her. And it impacted her ability to have children. Which also suggests that David did sleep with her. He wasn't offended by her. He knew that she was struggling. And I think he probably went to her as often as he could because he wanted her to know that she was still loved. 
And the reason why I think that is because that's what God would do. He'd want you to know you're still loved. You can live your life in offense. You can live your life in bitterness. You can live your life as a victim. And God's goodness is still there for you. It will still hold you. It will still love on you. It will still try to remind you of your destiny and your identity. But Michelle never opened herself up for it. And she spent her her days in bitterness and barrenness because of it. All right, I'll pick this up a little bit again tomorrow or the next week when we do this. I know you went over almost almost an hour and 15 minutes today. But uh, hey, we got the ark into the city. And uh, we learned a few things along the way, I hope. So have yourself a great day, everyone. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.